1 Samuel chapter 22. I also want you to find the book of Psalms, because we're going to be in the book of Psalms a lot today. There's four different Psalms that we're going to look at that are, as we always say, the best commentary on Scripture is the Scripture itself. And well, King Saul has just descended. He has fallen from grace. This guy who was anointed by God, used as a servant, a servant leader to deliver the nation of Israel, has now, he's jumped off the deep end, gone off the diving board straight into the deep end, and now he is hunting his very, very best servant. He's chasing him down. I think of the old spaghetti westerns there from the 1960s, and in every single one, they had one common theme, that, that wanted poster, dead or alive. And now that poster is all over the nation of Israel. Any leads, anyone that can help him hunt down David, but anyone that can hunt down David, his servant, anyone that can, can chase him down, he's after him. Now, David himself has become an outlaw. Here's a man, he was captain of a thousand. He was the leader of many. A, a hero. They sang songs about him. And he ran for his life. He, he ran from his best friend, Jonathan. Jonathan told him, hey, man, you can't come back. He's serious. And then he went to the school of the prophets. He tried to hide there. Couldn't hide there. Then he tried to run to the last chapter, the enemy's, the enemy's city. He, remember, he had to fake like he was mad to escape there. Now, where is he going to go? Now, he's just running, 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 and yet we know that the Lord is in absolute control of all those things. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. And then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please, let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold, depart. And go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Herath. Now there's a lot of little things here that we want to pick up on. As David is running away again from Achash, king of Gath, the Philistines, he now has to run to the cave of Adullam. It's in the, the hill area of Judah. And there's a ravine area, most likely, where he conquered Goliath. Remember as he had to cross over that ravine to go and fight Goliath? There's caves up in the hills. May have been where the nation of Israel was camping out at that time. But this word, Adullam, means refuge. And refuge means place of safety. This guy was in the king's palace. This guy's wife was the king's daughter. This guy was a general. And now after running and running and running, the Lord has him hiding out in a cave. But it has become his place of refuge. We see that because David has become a wanted man, now his family has become wanted. 
It says there in verse 1 that his father's house heard it and went down to him. They were in distress. David was from the area of Bethlehem. At this time, it had been taken over by the Philistines. The Philistines, once again, are encroaching on the land of Israel. Saul's so distracted on what's going on in his own kingdom, he's not keeping track of defending the kingdom itself. It's become so dark. And so then he takes his family. He knows his family, his father, his mom. They're, just, they're too old to be hiding out in caves and fighting. It says in verse 3, they, they took him to Mizpah of Moab. Now the Moabites were enemies of Israel. Is David once again trying to find his refuge with his enemies? Not really. You see, David's father, Jesse, Jesse's grandmother was Ruth. And who was Ruth? Ruth was the Moabitess. And so he's actually hiding his family with her family, with the in-laws, protecting them. But he says something different that reveals how he has been changing and how he has been growing. He, he says there in verse 3, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. Till I know what God will will do for me. He knows that God is in control. He knows that God has anointed him. He's trusting the Lord now. He trusted in, his, in himself. He trusted in his feet by running. He trusted even in the Philistines last chapter. He was going to try and hide out there. God wouldn't let him. And he says, I, I know that God, he has something for me. He's going to use me. I'm going to wait and I'm going to trust him. And then it says here in our New King James that David was in the stronghold. That word stronghold is the same word there for misva. It, it's the nation of the Moabites, this strong place of safety. Misva means high tower. This is a guard area. This is a castle, a fortress area. And, and he's just waiting there for a little bit. He realizes that God's going to speak with him there. But a prophet comes. A strange character comes out of nowhere. I think of that old spaghetti western, that, that random guy that comes on horseback at high noon, has a secret message for him. But this message is from God. He says, David, what does he say there in verse 5? Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. Do not stay here with the Moabites. You need to go back to where it is most difficult. You need to go back into enemy territory. You need to go back to the hills of Judah where you're the smallest, where you're the weakest, where you had the least, and where you are completely trusting in me. Something has changed in David. His refuge is now in God. God is now his refuge. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 57. Put a bookmark here. We're coming back to 22. Head to the right in your Bible. You got to Proverbs. You went too far. Psalm 57. We're going to see what's going on in David's heart because David's going to tell us. He wrote a song about it. Listen to the intro here of Psalm 57. To the chief musician set to do not destroy, a mictum of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Let's look into David's heart here in verse 1. And we're going to read rather quickly because we have a few psalms we're going to go through. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge. 
Until these calamities have passed by, I will cry out to God Most High, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send me from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Verse 4. My soul is among lions. I lay among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Verse 6. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Wait a minute here, David. I mean, how are you able to do that? I mean, come on. Sing and glorify God when people are trying to kill you? You know, we run from all kinds of things. You know, we can run from a a place of business. We can run. I've admitted I've done it, right? And then we can run from family. We can run from problems. We can run from debt collectors. We can run from... David is running from people who literally want to kill him. This isn't a philosophical exercise for him. These are people they want to kill. They murder him in the streets. And he says, no, Lord. No, Lord. My heart is steadfast in you, the things of you. There's another psalm, Psalm 142, a little bit more to the right. Remember to keep your finger in 1 Samuel. We're going back. This one's a little bit shorter. Again, the intro, a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path in the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. You know, the Bible says that the word reveals the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You know, we can hide our feelings and our emotions from people. We can play like we're fine. We can play like we're not angry or upset or we're hurt. But the Lord knows. And and David, he's just crying out to him. Oh, Lord, they're trying to kill me. Preserve me. I've been brought very low. Can you imagine? I mean, he's not sitting in some mansion cave. He's literally sitting In a cave, rocks, this man who was singing to the king in the throne room of Israel. You ever felt like that? Like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? But what has changed? David says, God, you are my refuge. 
You see, David has nothing. He has nothing. But he has everything in God. God is guiding him, directing him, and using him, and has stripped him of every little comfort, everything that he took solace in that got in the way of the Lord. Remember last Sunday we were talking about uh, my kids and their blankie, their security blankie, and, and we have things like that, you know, the big screen TV and the big couch when you get home, our blankie. I had a rough day. Some people use chemicals. It's their security blankets. Some people, it's a person, a relationship, a job, a position, a PhD. These things that they're so important to them, they just, they need it. Some people, it's their reputation. If their reputation, if what people think about them isn't what they want, then they're devastated. David has lost all those things, yet he is stronger for it because his hope is in God. Now Saul, on the other hand, let's go back to 1 Samuel. Saul, on the other hand, has everything. He is king, and yet he has nothing. Let's read together in verses 6 through 8. That's 1 Samuel 22, verses 6 through 8. When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, Now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me. And there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Saul now is holding court on David. He's got his royal court assembled, all his captains of the thousands. And what's the first thing you notice? There's only Benjamites left. Saul has become more and more isolated. The rest of the tribes have gone home. This guy, he's going nuts. And he can only motivate his men by using the most basest things. I'm going to give you a raise. I'm going to give you power and authority. And David's going to take that away from you. Nothing about honor or integrity or the love of God or the love of their nation. No, it just goes straight to their wallet. Hey, you don't follow me? It's going to get real bad for you, all you traitors. Look at how Saul paints himself as the victim. Everybody's against me. Saul, he did all this himself. This was his choices and his actions. And yet the enemy has him so misguided that this man who was once anointed by God, raised by God to serve and to minister to others, has gotten so poisoned. He's turned against his very best servant. He's turned against his own son. He's turned against his own people. And now whoever is left, he has a root of bitterness for. Saul has everything. He has the crown and the authority and the mansions. Everything that we kind of look for comfort to in our lives. And yet he has absolutely nothing because he has turned his back on God. We never think that we'll get there. We never think that we'll be that person. And yet in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says, And no wonder, 
For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Satan does his most devastating work inside the church using people from the church. And they think they're doing good. They think they're doing right. How do you know? Well, by their fruit, you shall know them. Saul, as a leader, has divided and people are leaving and he is casting people away and there's fear. No one is growing closer to the Lord. But what did we see in the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 through 4? Verse 2, back at the beginning, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. David, on the other hand, with nothing, nothing to offer. Hey, guys, got no salary for you. Hey, guys, got no position for you. You're not going to be captain of a thousand. There's only 400 of us. But if you want to stay with me, come on. Come on and serve with me. David is unifying. He's growing people together. They're serving the Lord. They're taking the hard road. They're sticking it out. They're not running. And this isn't some band of renegades because David has been put in charge. As a captain, they're being placed in order and they're serving. Are you unifying? Are you taking the hard road? Are you going back to Judah, back to the, the cave? Humble, or are you just looking for position and authority? Are you just looking to be king? Are you looking to boss people around? Are you looking at people that say, oh yeah, he's the guy. She's the gal. And is everything that's going on with you everyone else's fault? Is it their fault? That's Saul's attitude. Everything's going wrong. I come from a generation of people who everyone gets a trophy. Everybody gets a participation trophy. Everybody's a winner. And if you lose, it's somebody else's fault. I come from a generation of kids that are taught that if you don't have a job, it's society's fault. I come from a generation of kids that's taught if I don't have any money, it's the government's fault. It's the man. He's keeping me down. And we're a, a generation of victims. Saul is a generation. He's a victim. He doesn't see that it's his choices, it's his decisions, it's his relationships, it's his disobedience that has placed him in this, in this position. And he thinks that he's going to take it and get all the control back in his life if he can just eliminate David. You know, there's, there's just sometimes the enemy just comes in, he, he gives you this root of bitterness where you just, you're blaming everything on one person and it's, it's your fault, it's my fault. We look in the mirror, that person... That person made those choices. But what do we do? Do we sit there like Saul with a spear in our hands, just ready to destroy and destroy our families, our homes, our churches? I think of those Psalms. As, as David was crying out, Psalm 57, he's, he, as we read, he said, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities pass by. I will cry out to the God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Selah, God shall send forth his mercy and truth. He, he cried out. This is, this is the key in Psalm 142, verse 5. We read it quickly. It says, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge. 
my portion in the land of the living. If we would just cry out to God, have his word just reveal the thoughts and the intentions of of our hearts. Lord, search me and know me. Help me to confess my sins when they are my sins. And when they're not, and when I'm being persecuted or when someone comes against me, help me, Lord, to trust in you and not in the things of this world. Not to trust my paycheck, not to trust my position, not to trust and fill in the blank that is keeping you from the only thing that matters, our sure foundation, which is God himself. Our personal relationship with God himself is the only thing that will last. David knows this because he's lost everything. He has nothing, and yet he has everything. Saul has everything, and he has nothing. Sometimes the worst thing that could ever happen to us is to get everything that we want. And then we realize, as we're holding it there in our hands, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't the path I thought I was going to be on. But wait, there's more, and it's bad. It gets worse. Let's jump into verse 8. All of you have conspired against me, and there is no, is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse, and there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servants against me to lie in my weight as it is this day. Okay, caught up. Verse 9. Then answered Doeg, the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Hatub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub. And all his father's house, the priests were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, O son Ahitub. He answered, Here I am, my Lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait, as it is this day? Verse 14, So Ahimelech answered to the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. Remember last week, if you, if you missed it, when David was running from place to place, he went to the school of the prophets there at Nob, and the, the Goliath's sword was there. He was starving. He ate the bread from the, show, the table of showbread. After having a discussion, David flat out lies to protect his skin. And now the chickens are coming home to roost. There's consequences. God never told him to lie. God never told him to put himself in that position. And yet there he was. There was a man named Doeg who was there. He was either consecrating himself or keeping an oath or or converting to being a, a Jew. He's not a Jew. He's not. He's an Edomite. But he has a traitor to his people, and now he's become a Jew under the service and employ of Saul. Here's another man who was in the church or the synagogue or, or the faith at that time who is now going to do evil. 
the, the, the enemy, the enemy always does his best, most destructive work inside of the church, inside of the family. So he just calls out these priests that have done nothing wrong. They're innocent. They are servants of God. And now they're being called up. And what is their stinging accusation about David? Why they helped him out? He's your best servant. Why wouldn't I help him out? He's your very best captain. Again, there's, there's no accusation. There's no like, oh man, I, I knew it. I, th- I thought it could have been. Everyone around Saul sees it. But he has been so blinded by the enemy that he just, he doesn't even see himself. I pray, I beg as a brother in Christ, that that's not you here this morning, that you're just so blinded by things that are going on around you. I don't know. I don't have any hidden insight into your life. That you think that you're right. You are the victim, and yet everyone around you sees the forest for the trees. And it's like, man, I just, I just pray that the Lord just shares with that person. Just goes forth. Now, David, he's not innocent. Remember, he tried to flee to the Philistine capital. He wanted to go to the enemy's king. The Lord wouldn't allow it. He had to flee for his life. But you know, we're about to read one of the saddest stories in all of the Bible coming up next. And it is, it's terrifying. Let's just read it together, verses 16 through 19. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priest of the Lord because their hand also is with David, because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hand to strike the priest of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck down with the edge of the sword. Both men and women, and children, and nursing infants, oxen, and donkeys, and sheep with the edge of the sword. This is the saddest, lowest moment here. You can't help but ask yourself, God, why did you allow this to take place? These men were your servants. They did nothing wrong. They loved you. They served you. They're innocent. And now you allow this evil man and a traitor, Saul, to do this wicked deed. And I think of those men in orange jumpsuits there in Egypt several years ago being marched onto the beach by men in black claiming that they serve God and God allowed them to be slaughtered on the beach, the martyrs of Egypt. And we ask ourselves, God, why do you allow this to happen? All of us, every single one of us, if you've taken a breath for more than a year on this planet, you have had someone betray you. You have had someone slander you. You have had somebody close, a family member, unfortunately sometimes a spouse that has betrayed. And and you just ask, why? What did we do? These priests have done nothing. Their innocent children have done nothing. This is the saddest part of all. Saul wouldn't even kill his enemies this way. Remember in 1 Samuel 15, 9? 
But Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless they utterly destroyed. This is one of the main reasons why the kingdom was taken from him in the first place. He wouldn't obey. He wouldn't kill the king. Who did it? Samuel did, the prophet. There's people, you know, there's things that I've done that when I first became a Christian, I said, I will never do that. Absolutely no way. I will never, ever, ever do that. And then time and the enemy and our sin nature. And we're like, what did I do? What did I, what did, what happened? And you have a moment. There was a time where I, I backslid really hard. And then there was a moment there when the Lord came to me and said, you know, I felt a strong impression. I didn't hear him audibly, but he's just kind of like, are you done now? Are you done? Playing games? You are lying to yourself, Mike. You say that you're one thing. Your actions serve another. You said you would never, but here you are. Saul has done the most disgusting thing imaginable for his own pride, and it all started because a young man took some of his glory, and he was envious of David. And now that sin has borne fruit and has grown to now the innocence. What do we do if you're that person? What do you do if you're David? What do you do if you're this priest? God, why do these things happen? Why did you allow us to make these choices? Why did I go to that bar? Why did I take that drink? Why did I smoke that stuff? Why did I go with that gal or that guy? Why did I say those things on the phone? God, what do I do now? And there's a choice. Will you continue down the route of Saul or will you repent? Will you look to God as your refuge and your strength? Will you be the innocent one or will you be the perpetrator? So terrifying. Let's continue the chapter here in verses 20 through 23. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Hetub named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me you shall be safe. This is the last survivor of all those men. Comes to David. Hides in the cave, the place of refuge. And what does David say? Oh, that's Saul. We're going to get that guy for what he did. He does something that is so foreign to my generation. He says, I caused all this. I did this with my actions and with my choices. I am not a victim, David is saying. I caused this when I lied and I showed up. Saul had this man killed. His own guards wouldn't even do it. They had to get this foreigner, Doeg, to do it with his bloody hands. He could have just easily pawned all the blame on them. I caused this to happen, David said as they sit there and weep and just cry out to the Lord. Man, what it would be like to just know what they're thinking at that time. What, what's going on? How, how do they handle it? What do they cope? 
I mean, I, I look at the video, I, I see the guys in orange jumpsuits on the beach, and I'm like, Lord, you can stop this. You have the power of all life and death. G- through Jesus, all things consist that exist. And you have allowed this suffering to take place. Lord, why have you allowed me to make these decisions in my life that hurt others? And taking some ownership, and the Lord comes to you. A lot of people ask these questions, believer, non-believer alike, but there's answers in our scriptures. Turn with me to Psalm 72. Psalm 72 to the right. Going back right before Proverbs. You'll probably beat me there again. Solomon wrote this one, David's son. It's kind of long. It's got 20 verses, but it's worth it. I would also highly recommend that you would uh, read this one on your own. Spend some time with it. Give the king your judgments, O God, and the righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Zeba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries. The poor also, and him who has no helper, he will spare the poor and the needy and will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. He shall live, and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made continually for him. Daily shall he be praised. There will be an abundance of grain in the earth. On the top of the mountains, its fruits shall wave like Lebanon. And those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be glorious, his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. There is a kingdom that is coming that we are all longing for. This kingdom that's coming will be perfect. It's everything that we know should be right. Those men on that beach, when they closed their eyes for the last time, entered into that kingdom. These priests, when they were slaughtered at Nob, or in the king's throne room, entered into that kingdom. 
They're victorious. They're not victims. We all will win, all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't live for this kingdom. We know that this kingdom is wrong. We know that it's not right. We know that good things are happening to bad people and bad things are happening to good people. But this is not our home. This is but for a moment. There will be a thousand-year kingdom through Jesus Christ. He will rule and reign. And then for eternity, forevermore, he shall set all things right. And he will come to this world and he will judge it. And all those evil things that we have committed, that others have committed, will be judged. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Some to salvation, others to eternal judgment. But what about that guy Doeg? I mean, come on, Mike, really. This guy, he's evil. Does he get off scot-free? Uh, you thought I was done. Let's go to the left in the book of Psalms, Psalm 52. To the chief musician, a contemplation of David, when Doeg the Edomite went and told Saul, Saul and, to, and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. We're going to find some answers here. Verse 1, why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures it continually. Your tongue devises destruction. Like a sharp razor working deceitfully, you love evil more than good. Lying rather than speaking righteousness. Your love of all de- you love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. Verse 5, God shall likewise destroy you forever. That, just ponder that for a minute. God will likewise destroy you forever. He shall take away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in, his, in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Oh, but listen to verse 8 and 9. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise your name. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. Judgment is coming on these members of ISIS. If they do not repent and accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, the only way of salvation for all of us, not of works, lest any man should boast, they will be in hell for eternity. That's not popular to say in pulpits. Adolf Hitler, who everyone wants to use as the epitome of all evil, shall have a million years for every single drop of blood, of innocent blood that perished in World War II, and then more. Because it will be for eternity. The judgment of God is a fearful thing. Oh, but those that trust in Him will be like an olive tree in His presence. None of these martyrs of the true and the living King will ever taste a loss. They will all be victors, not victims. You are not a victim no matter what you're going through here today. Because the king of kings is in exile. And he is gathering to himself those that are in debt, those that are cast off, those that are hurting, just like David. And the king will return and set up his kingdom. 
And there are evil men in the church today and in the world today, and they're, and they're professing themselves to be wise, but they're making themselves full. And yet the king, he shall return, our king, and he will set all things right. But you have a choice this morning. As Joshua said back in the early portion of the scriptures, to choose this day whom you will serve. Will you serve yourself and the enemy or will you serve the Lord and his kingdom? Will you serve the king? Will you deny yourself, pick up the cross, follow after him in the hills, in humility, in humbleness, not looking to this world, but looking to the next world? Or will you choose the things of this world, take your blankie, take your check, take your honor and your integrity and think that you have everything and have nothing? That choice is yours. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray that we'd make true, true decisions. We've all failed miserably, Lord. But we're not victims. We've made poor choices. We just yield to your grace, Lord. We thank you for your mercy that through your Son, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Father. I pray for those, Lord, here this morning that may have been struggling, they may have found themselves warming their hands by the wrong fire, that they would have themselves lit on fire for you, Lord, burning with passion for their relationship with you. Father, we pray that you would be moving through your spirit, that you would be honored, you would be glorified, and that we would sing praises to your name, Lord, and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, for in due time you shall exalt every single one of us. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.